All right, so open your Bibles to Acts 16, verse 11. And on the Bibles around the room, it's on page 925. Um, At the end of reading, I'm going to say this is the reading of God's word, and you're going to reply, thanks be to God. Let's start on verse 11. So setting sail from Troas, we made a direct voyage to Samothrace and the following day to Neapolis and from there to Philippi, which is leading city of the district of Macedonia and the Roman colony. We remained in the city some days and on the Sabbath, we went outside to the gate to the riverside where we supposed there was a place of prayer. We sat down and spoke to the women who had come together. One who heard us was a woman named Lydia from the city of Thyatira, a seller of purple goods who was a worshiper of God. The Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what was said by Paul. And after she was baptized in her household as well, she urged us saying, If you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come to my house and stay. And she prevailed upon us. As we were going to the place of prayer, we met a slave girl who had a spirit of divination and brought her owners much gain by fortune telling. She followed Paul and us, crying out, These men are servants of the Most High God, who proclaim to you the way of salvation. And this she kept doing for many days. Paul, having become greatly annoyed, turned and said to the Spirit, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And it came out that very hour. But then her owners said that their hope of gain was gone. They seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace before the rulers. And when they had brought them to the magistrates, they said, These men are Jews, and they are disturbing our city. They advocate customs that are not lawful for us as Romans to accept or practice. The crowd joined in attacking them, and the magistrates tore their garments off them and gave them orders to beat them with rods. And when they had inflicted many blows upon them, they threw them into the prison, ordering the jailer to keep them safely. Having received this order, he put them into the into the inner prison, and fastened their feet with the stocks. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the prisoners were listening to them. And suddenly there was a great earthquake, so that the foundations of the prison were shaken. And immediately all the doors were open, and everyone's bonds were unfastened. When the jailer woke and saw the prison doors open, he drew the sword and was about to kill himself, supposing the prisoners had escaped. But Paul cried with a loud voice, Do not harm yourself, for we are all here. And the jailer called for lights and rushed in. Trembling with fear, he fell down before Paul and Silas. When he brought them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? They said, Believe in the Lord Jesus, and you will be saved, you and your household. And they spoke the word of the Lord to him, and they were all in his house. And when he took them the same hour of the night and washed their wounds, and he was baptized at once, he and his family. Then he brought them into the house, set up food before them, and he rejoiced, along with his entire household, that he had believed in God. This is the reading of God's word. Let's pray. God, I thank you for your word and your freedom to gather and worship you. We lift up Pastor Kyle as he preaches, and we just pray that you open our ears and our hearts to what you want us to hear today, God. We thank you for the fathers that you've placed in our lives, but most of all, we thank you for being our perfect father. In your name we pray. Thank you, Shelby. Please be seated. Good morning, everybody. My name is Kyle. I'm one of the pastors here. Uh, If you're a member, I love you. I love being your pastor. Thank you for this opportunity to be able to preach to you the Bible. Uh, If you are a guest, welcome to Living Stones. I understand that um, it can be intimidating to come to church sometimes. 
Uh, sometimes I invite my friends and they say, oh no, I won't go to church. I'm too much of a sinner. The walls will catch on fire and fall down on me. I promise you that won't happen today um, because this is a place where sinners can find refuge in God. And that's what we want this to be. So sinners are welcome. Welcome to church. Uh, so this is a place if you, you know, if you have a lot of questions, you can bring your questions, you can bring your doubts, and we hope that we could point you to what the Bible says and to Jesus. Um, now we're in uh, Acts 15, so turn there, but as you do, happy Father's Day, you know? Um, it's, uh, it's good to be a dad. I'm a dad. If you're a dad, you know, it's, you don't have to put in a lot of work to make a child, but it takes a lot of work to be a father. So happy Father's Day. I hope you feel honored today. Let's get to work. Acts 15, we're going to be on page uh, 924 in the Bibles we said around the room. Um, I said 15 because we're going to read the tail end of 15, and then we're going to go in through chapter 16, which we just read. So um, grab your Bibles. want everybody to have it open. Now, I love this passage. This is my favorite passage, perhaps in the entire Bible, because it's just awesome what God does. What we see here is that God has a heart who wants to pursue people, and he wants us to be a part of that pursuit. God is on a mission, and uh, I love that. Like, as a kid, I, I love movies and things that were like about mission, like the movie Mission Impossible, you know, or Braveheart, or Men in Black, you know, saving the world from aliens. Like I love this idea of mission because all of those things inspire in us something that longs to live for something greater than ourselves. And what we see here is this whole chapter is about God accomplishing his mission in this world, and inviting us to be a part of it. And, you know, the unfortunate news of the Bible, it says in Isaiah 53, is this. All we, like sheep, have gone astray. Every one of us to our own way. From the moment of birth, we are born with hearts that want to wander away from God and His goodness. There is nobody born who says, I'm going to worship God. We are born with Hearts that want to wander away from him. But the good news of the Bible is that God is a good shepherd who wants to pursue our wandering hearts. Amen, church? Um, so if you don't believe that we're born with wandering hearts, let's look at history for a moment. You ever read, you know, when you're in school, I know you don't read history books now, but when you're in school reading a history book, you're like, it never gets better. Why is that? Because we're born with wandering hearts. Uh, why do you have so much conflict in your life and hard times with other people? Because we have wandering hearts. Why do we even, if we're honest with ourselves, fall short of our own standards by which we judge other people? Because we have wandering hearts. But God pursues our wandering hearts. When Jesus came to this world as God, he said, I came to seek and save the lost. Hallelujah. I came to seek and save the lost. And one of the things that he said to his disciples before he left is, is he said, as I've come into the world, so I'm sending you to seek and save the lost. So our mission as a church is to seek and save the lost so people can be reconciled back to God. And that's what this chapter is all about. So the way that we see Paul in this chapter joining God's mission is Paul joins God's mission by opening his mouth and speaking of Jesus. And God, through Paul, fulfills his mission by opening people's hearts. And that's my main point. We open our mouths, God opens people's hearts. All right? So this passage breaks down into two points. I only have a two-point sermon today. It's going to be fun. Mission and conversion. 
Okay, so let's talk about mission. We open our mouths, God opens people's hearts. Uh, Acts 15, verse 36 through 41. If you don't know what the chapters and verses are, the chapters are the big numbers, verses are the little numbers. It says this, And after some days, Paul said to Barnabas, Let us return and visit the brothers in every city where we proclaim the word of the Lord and see how they are. Now Barnabas wanted to take with them John called Mark. But Paul thought it best not to take with them one who had withdrawn from them in Pamphylia and had not gone with them to the work. And there arose a sharp disagreement so that they separated from each other. Barnabas took Mark with him and sailed away to Cyprus, but Paul chose Silas and departed, having been commended by the brothers to the grace of the Lord. And he went through Syria and Cilicia, strengthening the churches. So the first point is this, is that we're on a mission, but mission often involves conflict. It often involves conflict. What we see in this little section is there's two characters, a guy named Paul and a guy named Barnabas. We call him Barney here every once in a while. Paul and Barney, they're apostles, and they went on a missionary journey uh, a, little, a few chapters back to go plant churches where there was no churches, to tell people about Jesus. And so Paul says to Barnabas, hey, let's go visit those churches again and see how they're doing. Let's go tell them about Jesus. Let's go encourage them some more. Let's go preach some more. And Barnabas is like, yeah, that sounds like a good idea. Let's take Mark with us. Now, Mark was a guy who started their first journey with them, but for some reason bailed. Uh, I don't know if he got like homesick, he missed his mama or got, you know, something happened and Mark bailed. And all we know is that Paul got frustrated at this. And so what happens, it says right here, is Barnabas and Paul, these two apostles, have this sharp disagreement. Sounds like church sometimes, right? They have this sharp disagreement. And so much so that they separate. Now, I love what Luke tells us. Luke doesn't say, well, Paul was right, you know. <laughs> you know or he, and he doesn't say, well, Barnabas was right. All, that, all we see that Luke says is they separate and they both end up going through strengthening churches. And what I think for that is, is it's very important for us to understand um, that God will often use our conflicts and our separations to reach more people. And look at what we see here on this map. Okay, so this is the second missionary journey of Paul. He starts over here in Antioch, and he's going around this way. Now, they have this uh, disagreement, and so what happens here is Barnabas and uh, Mark end up going to Cyprus, but Paul and Silas end up coming up here to the north. And I think it's a good picture for us that God, even in the midst of our separations and our difficulties with each other, is committed to reaching more people. And sometimes we'll use our divisions to reach the masses. And it's pretty cool. Love what Martin Luther used to say. He used to say, God draws straight lines with crooked sticks. And that's good news because even the best men are still men at best. So mission involves conflict, but God often uses that conflict to reach more people. The second thing that mission involves is friendship and leadership. Look at chapter 16, verse 1 says, Paul came also to Derby and to Lystra. A disciple was there named Timothy, the son of a Jewish woman who was a believer, but his father was a Greek. And he was well spoken of by the brothers at Lystra and Iconium. Paul wanted Timothy to accompany him. So Paul goes to the city of Lystra. Okay, I know there's a lot of cities up there, but he goes to the city of Lystra, right up there towards the north. And Lystra, that takes a lot of guts for Paul to go there because if you've been paying attention through the book of Acts, in Lystra, last time Paul was there, they tried to kill him. They took him out and they stoned him and pelted him with rocks. 
But Paul wants to go. He's so committed to this church there. He's so committed to the mission that he goes back to that city. And there he meets a young man named Timothy. And Timothy is a guy who the church speaks very highly of. And Paul sees potential in him. And Paul invites Timothy to join him on the mission. Now, here's what's really important that you need to know. The mission of God is fulfilled in community, not in isolation. Fulfilled in community, not in isolation. We're not like lone rangers going out being a soldier for Christ on our own. We are soldiers for Christ. We're a family of people seeking to bring more people into the family. So it happens in community, and Paul understood this. So in choosing Timothy to join him, Paul gained a friend, and Paul gained a future leader. Because Paul wanted to invest into Timothy because Timothy would go on to pass on the torch of the gospel to other people. And uh, that's really important for us to understand. Friendship and leadership is forged on the front lines. A lot of people come to church, and they expect the church to put on a bunch of churchy functions so that people can gain friends. But listen to me, church. Friendship does not happen through churchy functions. Sometimes it does. And they're not all bad, okay? But the place where you're gonna find friendship the most is on the front lines on the mission, sharing the gospel of God, okay? Case in point, a few weeks ago, we sent a team to El Salvador to dig a well uh, with money that we raised at Christmas time, and they did. And when they came back, uh, I talked to a member of the team and he said, I felt closer to those people on that team over seven days than I have to the people in my community group that I've been with for three years. Why is that? Because mission is forged on the front lines. So if you're here and you're like, I don't know anybody and this church needs to do more for me to be, my my charge to you is get involved. Join the mission. Join the mission and you'll gain a friend. (laughs) Join the mission, you'll gain a friend. The second thing is um, by being on the mission, you can raise up new leaders. Some of you have been Christians for a long time and you're like, I am ready to pass on this leadership to somebody else so more people in the next generation can know God. And you're wondering, how do I do that? Do I meet with people over coffee once a week and teach them the Bible? Perhaps, but the main way that you can train a future leader is inviting them to do the mission with you. So if you're somebody who's like, you're older or you've been a Christian, maybe you're young and you've been a Christian for a long time and you wanna be a leader, here's how you do it. You join the mission and you invite somebody to join you. My question to you is, who is your Timothy? Who are you inviting to be a part of what you're doing? And what are you doing to be on the front lines so that you can train them to be a missionary? If you do that, you're gonna gain friendship and future leaders. That's what the church needs. So the third thing that we see here is that mission involves sacrifice. Look at verse three. Paul wanted Timothy to accompany him and he took him and circumcised him because of the Jews who were in those places, for they all knew that his father was a Greek. And as they went on their way through the cities, they delivered to them for observant the decisions that had been reached by the apostles and elders who were in Jerusalem. So the churches were strengthened in the faith, and they increased in numbers daily. So uh, the good news here in verse 5, it says the church were strengthened in faith, and they increased in numbers daily. That's our hope for living stones. Our hope for living stones is that every believer would be strengthened in the faith, amen? We wanna be a deep church who's continuing to grow strong, but we also wanna be a wide church that's reaching people every day so that more and more people can come and hear about the goodness of Jesus. But it took sacrifice. What did Paul have Timothy do? Get circumcised, okay? Now, if you're new to the Bible, you're like, that's a really weird thing to have somebody do. 
Here's what's going on. The Jews believed, Paul was ministering to the Jews first, and the Jews believed that the sign of real faith was physical circumcision. And so, you know, like they probably had interns or deacons at their synagogues that like they were the circumcision checkers and that's how they made sure that people were circumcised. And so that was the sign of, of, of real faith. Um, and Paul wants, he, he's doing this for Timothy for a handful of reasons. Number one, they're ministering to hostile Jews, Jews who are not fond of Greek people and who do not want Greeks to enter into their worship. So Paul says to Timothy, hey, bro, um, if you want to have your life, if you want us not to get killed, you're going to have to get circumcised. Secondly, he does this for Timothy's witness. The Jews only respected people who were circumcised. So he says, Timothy, if you want to be respected, if you want to preach the word and have people listen, these Jews listen, you're going to have to get circumcised. And then third, I think he might have been testing Timothy to see how committed he really was. <laughs> like Paul was upset that Mark bailed on him because he wasn't committed. I bet you Paul's like, all right, Timothy, you want to join me? Here's a test for you. Get circumcised. <laughs> now, what's interesting, if you've been paying attention, in chapter 15, the whole church just said, you do not have to be circumcised to be a follower of Christ. Hallelujah. Okay, the church just said that. But here, Paul is asking Timothy to make a specific sacrifice for the cause of Christ, for the sake of the mission. And what we need to know is that the mission will always include sacrifice. Paul himself said in his letter to the Corinthians, I become all things to all men that by all means God might save some. So God may not ask you to get circumcised to reach some people with the gospel, but he is going to ask you to sacrifice something. Perhaps it's your comfort. Perhaps it's, you know, uh, your, the time that you have. You need to open up your home to other people. There's always sacrifice involved in the mission. I mean, think about what our logo for Christianity is. It's a sacrifice. Jesus on the cross. Okay, so the mission involves sacrifice. And lastly, the mission involves the leading of the Holy Spirit. Look at verse 6 through 10. It says, And they went through the region of Phrygia and Galatia, having been forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia. And when they had come up to Mysia, they attempted to go into Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus did not allow them. So passing by Mysia, they went down to Troas, and a vision appeared to Paul in the night. A man of Macedonia was standing there, urging him and saying, Come over to Macedonia and help us. And when Paul had seen the vision, immediately we sought to go on into Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. So here's what's going on. They're working their way this way, and Paul keeps trying to go over into this area of Asia, and it says that they're forbidden by the Holy Spirit. Now, that's probably like the equivalent of they missed their connecting flight, their donkey broke down, or something happened that prevented them from getting there. But what I want you to know is that they concluded that God closing those doors was God saying no. Sometimes God speaks through closing doors. Sometimes God speaks through closing doors. And then they get to Troas, and, and God gives Paul a vision, a dream in the night. And it's a man of Macedonia, which is in modern-day Europe, and the man is saying, come over and help us. And verse 10 here says that they interpreted that as God saying, come preach the gospel to these people. And I want you to notice that. Their interpretation was not, come over and be nice people. That's not the mission, to be nice. The mission is to preach the good news of Jesus, because only through Jesus can people be reconciled to God. And so um, 
they follow the leading of this Holy Spirit. Now, what I want you also to notice is that they were working their way around, and as they worked their way around, God guided their steps. Um, It's been said before that it's easier to steer a car that's in motion than it is to steer one that's sitting idly, right? And in the same way, uh, I think that that's how God often works in this world. Many of you are like, you just sit. You're like sitting on your couch. I'm waiting for God to give me a vision. Then I'll go talk to him. That's not going to happen. Jesus said, go. Go to the whole world. And as you go out on mission to the people you have around you, God will guide your steps. You need to trust him. So that's how that works. Following the leading of the Spirit. So as they join the mission, what we're going to see here is they open their mouths about Jesus and God begins to open people's hearts. So the next section of chapter 16, we see God opening the hearts of three people, a rich businesswoman, a poor slave, and a middle-class Roman deputy. So the rich uh, businesswoman, her name is Lydia. Look at verses 11 through 15. It says, so setting sail from Troas, we made a direct voyage to Samothrace, and the following day to Neapolis, and from there to Philippi, which is a leading city of the district of Macedonia in a Roman colony. We remained in this city some days, and at the Sabbath, we went outside to the gate to the riverside, where we supposed that there was a place of prayer, and we sat down and spoke with to the women who had come together. One who heard us was a woman named Lydia from the city of Thyatira, a seller of purple goods, who was a worshiper of God. And the Lord opened her heart to Paul to pay attention to what was said by Paul. And after she was baptized and her household as well, she urged us saying, if you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come to my house and stay. And she prevailed upon us. So we see here, Paul and his crew get to the place of Philippi. And they, it's a Roman colony. And there's no Jewish synagogue there. That's where they would normally go to preach the word first. And so they walk outside the city gates to the riverside, supposing that there would be a place of prayer. There's like, hey, there's probably some Jews who have the scriptures who are gathered there to pray. And they go outside and behold, there is. There's some women sitting there. And these women become, one of them becomes the first Christian in Europe, the first convert in Europe. How cool is that? Now, I love that because a lot of times people in Bible times, they look down upon women. But in the Bible, we see God elevating women and and a lot of times putting women as the forerunners and pillars of the faith. I think that's really cool. And so these women are sitting here by the riverside. So just think the river's going, you know, like whatever a river sounds like, you know, and it's all peaceful. There's green grass. There's maybe some trees and they're sitting there in prayer. And Paul and his crew come up. They sit with them and they just start talking about Jesus and the Bible and they open up their mouths. And all of a sudden, this woman named Lydia starts to believe. It says that her, the Lord opened her heart. And what you need to know about Lydia is Lydia, she was a seller of purple goods. She was a businesswoman, an entrepreneur. Purple, it was really hard to get the dye purple because you had to extract it in this really meticulous process from snails. And purple was the color of royalty in many of the Roman officials. And so she was a businesswoman. She knew where to get the big bucks. And so that's why she was probably in this Roman colony. And so she was there, but she was a worshiper of God. And as Paul spoke to her, of God, the Lord opened up her heart. Opened up her heart. You see, that's how salvation works. God opens your heart. Um, John says in John 1, he says, nobody becomes a child of God through being born of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. It's God who makes you born again. I call this the aha moment. Or like Gru says on Despicable Me, when he has a good thought, light bulb, like it all just makes sense. 
Like, and so for some people that happens over a season of time, other people, it's like this instantaneous thing. You've heard the gospel a thousand times and all of a sudden you're like, I believe. A few weeks ago, I was talking to one of the pastors in training at the Reno Living Stones and he was telling me that how he became a Christian. He said that his friend invited him to church and finally he just went with his friend. He went for like a year, every week, just questioning, wrestling with the Bible, wrestling with what the pastor said, never wanting to believe. His prayer at communion time, when all the Christians were taking communion and he was sitting in the seat, he said, God, if you are real, you have to make me believe. You have to show me that you're real. And then one day the sermon was preached, communion was happening and he noticed he was standing in line for communion. And he was like, holy cow, I believe. <laughs> I believe in Jesus. It was the moment that he was born again. His soul was resurrected. You see, the Bible says that we are dead souls. Dead people can't make themselves come alive. You need a touch from the living God to breathe life into you. And that's what happened here. God opened up Lydia's heart. He opened her heart. And that's what we all need. And so the application for that is very simple. Number one, if you're not a Christian, if you're investigating, you can pray a very easy prayer. The burden is off your shoulders. Your prayer needs to be, God, if you are real, open my heart. Show me that you're real. And then as Christians, this is good news for you as you're trying to tell your friends about Jesus because the burden is not on your shoulders to change anybody's heart. You cannot. Your prayer needs to be, God, please open their heart. We need to pray that God would open the hearts of the people in the city. It's his work. So God saves this lady named Lydia. And Lydia invites them over to her. She gets baptized immediately, which that's the first response of faith. That's why some of you, if you've become a Christian, you need to get baptized because it's a sign that you have new life in God. Come talk to me after service. She gets baptized and then she invites them over to her house. And I love what Paul or Luke says. It says, she prevailed upon us. She was probably, I mean, look, she was rich. She probably had a big mansion on top of the hill, you know. She was like, I guess we'll stay with you, you know. So they go and stay with her. Now, they're continuing doing ministry, and we come out to this place where we see God reconcile a slave girl now. Verse 16, they were going to the place of prayer. We were met by a slave girl who had a spirit of divination and brought her owners much gain by fortune-telling. She followed Paul and us, crying out, These men are servants of the Most High God, who proclaim to you the way of salvation. And this she kept doing for many days. Paul, having become greatly annoyed, turned and said to the Spirit, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And it came out that very hour. <laughs> this is a really cool story, but let's break it down for a moment. They're walking to the place of prayer, and they see this slave girl. She's a slave girl. She's, she's owned. Somebody owns her. She's poor. She's not free. Her, her owners are oppressing her. And she's also oppressed by some sort of spirit that overcomes her and gives her the ability to have psychic powers and, and tell fortunes. Now, the Bible, I love what the Bible, the Bible does not deny that there is a spiritual existence in this world, supernatural, weird stuff that happens in this world. Some of those spiritual things are from God. Others are from demons. This, we learn, is not from God. It's not from God. It's, it's from demons. And so this girl is oppressed. And when Paul and the crew are just minding their own business, walking by, she cries out, these men are servants of the Most High God. And they proclaim to you the way of salvation. That sounds like pretty good theology, doesn't it? But the problem isn't in what she was saying. 
The problem is in how she was saying it. She was saying it to cause distraction, to cause mockery, and to bring attention away from Jesus. And you see, demons will often do that in this world. Demons are great theologians. They will often speak truth in a way where they're trying to distract people from Jesus. And this happened day after day after day. And then Paul eventually, he gets annoyed. Sometimes it's good to get it. It's a holy annoyance. He turns with this holy annoyance and he says, I command you this moment to get out of her. And it does. Now, I love that because this girl is used to power, but upon the name of Jesus, she realizes there's a greater power at work, a power that won't oppress her, but a power that will deliver her. But it doesn't all go well for everybody. Look at verse 19. But when her owners saw that their hope of gain was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace before the rulers. And when they had brought them to the magistrates, they said, these men are Jews and they're disturbing our city. They advocate customs that are not lawful for us as Romans to accept or practice. And the crowd joined in attacking them. And the magistrates tore the garments off them and gave orders to beat them with rods. And when they had inflicted many blows upon them, they threw them into prison, ordering the jailer to keep them safely. Having received this order, he put them in the inner stocks and fastened their feet in the stocks. So their owners of this little girl get ticked is really crazy. She gets delivered, they get ticked off. I mean, it shows who the real slaves are. They were enslaved to power and money, therefore they couldn't celebrate somebody who had become free. And because of that, they caused a riot to happen. They dragged them in front of the judges. They ripped their clothes off. They didn't even give them a fair trial. It was like a kangaroo court and they pulled out rods and they just started beating them and then they put them into a dungeon, into the inner stocks. What we see in a sense here is These missionaries are paying the price and this girl got set free. It's kind of a picture of the gospel. And so now they're in prison and we come to the third person that God uh, saves in this and it's it's a middle-class jailer. Look at verse 25. It says, about midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God and the prisoners were listening to them. So they're in the inner stocks. Let's put a picture of that on the screen the next picture. They're in the inner stocks and they're like in the dungeon and they're praying and singing to God. Is that what you would be doing? Singing to God in this time after you just got a beat down of your life and you're just in there? Like these people have joy in the place of misery. They have joy in the place of misery and they're singing. What are they doing? They're opening their mouths. They're opening their mouths, giving praise to God, giving praise to Jesus. Um, I think it's just like Paul, you know, he's just sitting there in prison. He's just thinking about the price he just paid and how this girl got set free. He's probably looking at blood and he just looks over to Silas. He's like, hey, Silas, man, that hurt, didn't it? He's like, yeah, man, that hurt. <laughs> he's like, but Jesus paid it all. I'm like, oh, that's a good song. Let's sing that song. Jesus paid it all. <laughs> All to him I owe. Sin has left a crimson stain. He washed it white as snow. They're just singing in prison. And all these, all these, the prisoners that said were listening to him. They were listening. And they were captivated by it because they had joy in the midst of misery. I love what Pastor Tony Morita says on this. He says, Joy has nothing to do with your circumstance, it has everything to do with your focus. 
And their focus was on Jesus, who would, whether they were getting beaten, whether they were getting tortured, whether they were in free or whether they were in jail, Jesus was always with them. So they could sing. And it captured everybody's attention because when Christians have joy and suffering, the world pays attention. And it caught God's attention too because look at what happens next. Look at verse 26. And suddenly there was a great earthquake. So that the foundation of the prison were shaken and immediately all the doors were opened and everyone's bonds were unfastened. And when the jailer awoke and saw that the prison doors were open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself, supposing that the prisoners had escaped. But Paul cried with a loud voice, do not harm yourself, we're all here. And the jailer called for lights and rushed in and trembling with fear, he fell down before Paul and Silas. Then he brought them out and said, sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they said, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, you and your household. And then they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all who were in his house. And he took them the same hour of the night and washed their wounds. And he was baptized at once, he and all his family. Then he brought them up into his house and set food before them. And he rejoiced along with his entire household that he had believed in God. So what we see here is uh, they're singing. And then all of a sudden God sends an earthquake, you know, and their stocks become loose and all the prisoners are set free. And the jailer comes rushing in and he freaks out because he sees the doors open. He supposes that all the prisoners are gone and he pulls out his sword and he just is about ready to kill himself. And the reason being is this, because this man was, most history tells us he was most likely a retired Roman veteran who had taken up this job as a jailer. And uh, he was probably a middle-class guy. And what that means is, is, uh, if he would have lost his prisoners, according to Roman custom, life for life, he would have lost his life. And they would have done it in a way that would have brought his family much shame. And so this guy didn't want anybody to feel shamed. And so he decided it would be better to kill himself. So he pulls out his sword to kill himself. And Paul says, no, don't do it. We're all here. Paul says, we're all here, which is really weird to me for a couple of reasons. One, if I was singing to God, I was in jail and all of a sudden, an earthquake came and I'm free, I would assume that's God saying, okay, go free, Kyle. But that, <laughs> Paul doesn't do that. And somehow, on top of that, secondly, he convinces the other prisoners to stay in prison. That's a trip. So they're there, and what we see in Paul not running free, because he knows that this man will die, we see Paul giving up his freedom so a life can be saved. Again, it's a picture of the gospel. Again, it's a picture of the gospel. And what happens is this jailer comes forward. He falls on his knees before Paul and Silas. And he says to them, sirs, what must I do to be saved? I love what Pastor Gavin says about this. He says, this is really ironic because the free man is saying to the prisoners, how do I become free? And he falls on his knees and says, how do I become free? And what's the answer? Very simple, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. They don't say, well, get your act together. Start obeying God in these ways. They don't say, uh, you know, do this and do this and do this and get yourself cleaned up. They say simply believe. Salvation is through faith alone in Christ alone. And so they say this and the man believes. God opens up his heart. So they speak the word of the Lord. They open up their mouths and then God opens up his heart. And he goes home. He tells his whole family. They believe. They all get baptized. They have a big feast and he cleans up their wounds. It's a beautiful picture. And this is how the church, <laughs> the first church in Europe got started. <laughs> so, what do we have from this passage? We have a few things. Number one, I think God is showing us that he works in many different places. 
Think about the three scenes where God worked. By a peaceful river, in a busy city in the face of mockery, and in the midst of a dungeon in suffering. God works in many different places. Wherever you are right now, God wants to work through you. Open your mouth about the glories and goodness of Jesus. Secondly, God wants to make a statement to all of us and I think to Paul. One thing you guys need to know about Paul is before he became a Christian, he was what was called a Pharisee. And a Pharisee was a sect of Judaism where they were very meticulous about obeying the law. Like they counted how many steps you could take on a Sabbath. They counted, like for women, they, they talked about what, how heavy your hair pieces could be so that you weren't working on the Sabbath. I mean, they were very, very meticulous because um, they wanted to make sure that they were upright. And what that caused them to do is many of the Pharisees believed that they were better than other people. And so this is awful, but a lot of the Pharisees prayed this prayer every day. They prayed a prayer that went like this. God, thank you for not making me a woman, a slave, or a Gentile. Now, who does God save in this chapter? A woman, a slave, and a Gentile. It's like God saying to Paul, I love the people you despise. (laughs) And it says that to all of us. God loves the people you think you're better than. He loves the people you despise. He's on mission to the people you despise. So open up your mouth about him and watch him change their hearts. Okay? The next thing for application is this. There's two application points I have. Number one, stay faithful in your work of proclaiming the goodness of Jesus. As Paul was going around and God was shutting the doors and the Holy Spirit was saying no, saying no he didn't quit. He didn't go home. He stayed faithful. As he got beaten, he didn't quit. As he faced this demon, he didn't quit. He just continued to stay faithful to open up his mouth about Jesus. And what did he witness? God opening up people's hearts. So the advancement of mission calls for our faithfulness, but it's God who does the work. Amen, church? It was God who sent the vision to bring them there. It was God who opened Lydia's heart. It's God who delivered the girl from the demon. And it was God who sent the earthquake. God does the work. So stay faithful. He wants to work in you. Stay faithful. And then the last point is this. Stand in awe. I think if anything, if I could have you do one thing today, it's just simply this. Be in awe of the goodness of God. I love what Pastor Tim Keller says about this section. He says, you know what's so cool about God? is that God meets each one of these people where they were at. Lydia was used to working with beautiful cloth, and God, through the scriptures, showed her that Jesus was beautiful. This girl, the slave girl, was used to power, but God, through Paul, showed her that Jesus was more powerful. This jailer was a practical man. You know, it was all about doing your job and doing it right, and he was going to kill himself because, in a sense, he viewed that he failed. But God showed him that Jesus is practical because he can change your heart to love a stranger, and that's exactly what Paul did. God met each one of these people where you're at. Now, that's beautiful because every other worldview out there proclaims a God that says, if you want to know me, you got to get your act together and then come to me. But Christianity has a God that says, I want to know you. You'll never be able to come to me, so I'm going to come to you. And this is what happens in Jesus, isn't it? He took on flesh and became a vulnerable baby. You ever feel vulnerable in this world? Like the world's just too much? Well, our Lord came to us. 30 years of Jesus' life we don't know much about because Jesus was living in the ordinary. You ever feel like you're just ordinary? Like 
Nobody recognizes who you are. You're just normal. Well, Jesus identified with you in his ordinariness. And then he met us where we were at in his ministry. He healed people and he spoke to people. And each person, he treated them as they needed to be treated. He did many miracles. And then he even meets us where we're at in our sin because he goes up on the cross and becomes as a great sinner. And then he resurrects from the grave to give us new life, meeting us where we're at because that's what we need more than anything is a victory over death. And he ascends up into heaven promising that he came to meet us where we're at so one day we can be with him where he's at. And that's the beauty of the gospel. God meets us where we're at and that's what we see in this passage. So if you do anything when you come to communion today, stand in awe of your Lord because when we stand in awe of our Lord, we'll open up our mouths about him. And when we open up our mouths about him, God will open people's hearts to him. Amen, church? Let's do this together. God, thank you for your love. Thank you that you do meet us where you're at. You do work in many places, through many people. We just ask that we would be used by you. And and we want to join your mission because we want to see more of your work. And we want to join your mission because we are in awe of your love. And I do pray that anybody in here who is like Lydia, that we just need our hearts to be open. Would you open up our hearts? I pray if there's anybody who is like this slave girl facing oppression, that you would deliver them from this oppression. And I pray if there's anybody here who just need you to intervene through something crazy like an earthquake. God, we pray that you would intervene and that you would show us mercy so we can know you because there's nothing better than knowing you, our Lord. Amen.